Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. Perhaps you saw all of the rah-rah-rah concerning the appointment by the President, the President of the United States, Donald Trump, of his vice president, his veep, Mike Pence, to oversee the coronavirus threat. Let's just call it that. Here in the United States of America. To oversee handling of that, managing of that. What is termed by many as being a czar. It's interesting that they like to use that term, taking that from the Russian czars, but that Michael Pence will be in charge of the response by the American government, the federal government, to this challenge, this threat to the health and well-being of the people of the United States of America, legal and illegal and what have you. Fascinating that just weeks ago, (laughs) we had the president claiming that this was totally under control. That's right, that the coronavirus threat to America, that was totally under control. Quote, we have it totally under control. In late January. When I first reported on this, when I first commented on this coronavirus epidemic in China, which began in Wuhan of Hubei province, Wuhan, a massive city that is surrounded by another 13 cities, I believe it is, major cities, the population of Wuhan and its surrounding cities is more than 30 million people in dense living conditions, proximity to one another. And this took place, it began at a time that there were a great, great, great many foreign visitors to Wuhan for particular celebrations. And lo and behold, they became infected and they took it with them. Well, when I first commented on it, back before the president said it was totally under control, at least here in the United States of America, that we have it totally under control, I stated that it was a pandemic at that time. Now, The World Health Organization, who, like something out of a James Bond movie, who, this organization, they intimated that they were viewing it as being on the order of a pandemic. And I reported on that, commented on that here a bit ago. And yet, fascinatingly enough, now that it has made its way to at least 47 nations, 
It has been variously reported as 47 nations, 48 nations. Lo and behold, they still aren't really naming it a pandemic. Amazingly enough, here on the last day of February as we head into March. But instead, they raised the global risk of this coronavirus to very high, from high to very high. But you see, there is this fear of actually naming it what it is. You have those like dear Donald Trump, President of the United States, who when he is not scathingly name-calling fellow Republicans who are running for the presidential nomination. He does so to, to others, but he blusters with empty, empty claims, positive claims. In this case, dangerously so, bravado, cavalier, blustering. And denial, it may be a strategy, but it is a fool's strategy. It is a grossly irresponsible strategy, if it is a strategy. And it's being engaged in by the World Health Organization as well. Not just the president, not just leaders of other nations and governments of other nations, but by this vaunted, illustrious World Health Organization. So now the risk is very high. But it's not pandemic yet. It's just very high. (laughs) Just extraordinary. So what constitutes a pandemic, really? It's one that circles the globe. It's one that covers the earth. Does it have to touch every nation, every country in the world to be labeled a pandemic? No. No. The AIDS crisis in southern Africa was labeled a pandemic. That it crossed nations' boundaries. That it was epidemic proportions in multiple nations within the continent of Africa, in the lower half of Africa. That constituted a pandemic. The plague back in days of old, days of yore, in Europe, which infected great multitudes of peoples in many nations throughout Europe, pandemic. Well, what do we have here? 47 to 48 nations. As The next report on it, it will be 55, 100 nations. But currently, places as diverse, as far apart from one another, as Mexico, Nigeria, Estonia, Denmark, Netherlands, Lithuania, Italy, France, Germany, Britain, 
South Korea, communist China, Mongolia is even afraid. They placed their president, Batulga Kaltma, under quarantine after he returned from a trip to communist China. Fascinatingly enough, horrifyingly enough, not only have people that have not been diagnosed as having been infected, not only do they then blossom into full-blown infection a few days, a couple days later, and then go on to infect many people, But on top of that, communist Chinese officials have now said that some patients who have recovered upon further testing have been found to be infectious. That's right. So people that were infected that have supposedly fully recovered are then blossoming with this infection again. Becoming reinfected. But are they really becoming reinfected or was it there all all the time, all along? And were they misdiagnosed as having recovered when they had not recovered? I feel certain that's the case, but in any case, Italy... (laughs) It just is growing by leaps and bounds in Italy to the extent that now people in many other nations are seeing the specter of cases blossoming in their nations for people that have traveled to Italy, not to Wuhan in Hubei province, communist China, but have traveled to Italy have traveled to Milan, Italy. Extraordinary. South Korea has the most cases outside of communist China. But Iran has the highest death toll. Iran. Islamist regime Iran. Meanwhile, Moscow, Russia, It deported 88 foreigners who violated quarantine measures. And so it booted them out. A reasonable response, frankly. But (laughs) this is found now in the United States of America, in Mexico, so North America. Europe, United Kingdom. Europe meaning Northern Europe, Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Southern Europe. All of these, as well as UK, as well as Central Asia, as well as Africa, and of course Asia. How is that not yet recognized and stated as being pandemic. How is that possible? 
Well, <laughs> it's beyond belief. But <laughs> it's just denial. It's intellectual dishonesty on a massive scale. And also in the Canary Islands, in Spain's little bitty Canary Islands. Extraordinary. (laughs) Where hasn't it reached? Well, as far as I know, there have been no reports from the Arctic or Antarctica. I don't know about Australia and New Zealand or the Samoan Islands and Tahiti, Fiji, and so forth. I don't know about them. But Italy, France, Spain, Germany, Netherlands, Denmark, (laughs) Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Iran, Middle East, Central Asia. And Asia, Africa, Nigeria, UK. This is worldwide. It is a pandemic, no matter what these others say. As far as for Central Asia, in addition to Iran, Afghanistan, Iraq, in the Middle East, United Arab Emirates, UAE, United Arab Emirates, extraordinary. Central Asia into Southeast Asia, Pakistan. Middle East into Central Asia, Kuwait, Bahrain, Oman. Up towards the border of Russia, Mother Russia, is Georgia. All of these places have seen incidents. Meanwhile, in California, (laughs) this case of this woman who showed symptoms of the disease. was admitted to a local hospital, and there's a massive effort now in California to try to track down everybody who came across the path of this woman. Now, coronavirus, it develops into what is referred to as COVID-19 disease. So this woman, she had not traveled to a place recognized as a hot spot for coronavirus. Not to be confused with a Wi-Fi hotspot. She had not traveled to such a place and yet became infected and apparently has infected others. But it's not a pandemic. We have a totally under control. Meanwhile, something that dovetails, a couple things that dovetail with it, the first one being this. A beautiful, young, 
teacher, 25 years of age, Tashana Ward. This young woman, a daycare teacher, lovely woman, of color, black woman, African-American woman, take your pick. She tragically died in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She went to Frodert Hospital. She was suffering from chest pains and shortness of breath. She was there for more than two hours waiting to see a doctor. The staff did not check her vital signs in accord with what they should have. She finally gave up in exasperation and went to find help elsewhere. And a bit over an hour later, after leaving the emergency room, she collapsed and died. Just monstrous. Monstrous. This kind of thing. But guess what? With socialized health care, socialized medical care, there will be much more of that. Sadly, this young woman, I'm guessing, did not take any aspirin. She should have, and perhaps she would be alive now. But clearly, she suffered a heart attack, suffered another heart attack, 25 years of age, heart disease, heart disease and heart failure is the number one killer of women. Not breast cancer and not even vicious, ruthless, murderous destroyers. But heart disease, heart attack. It's not ballyhooed like Breast cancer awareness. (laughs) Awareness, but only but limited to, it's a political thing, in case you didn't know, a political cause celeb. And awareness is limited to politically correct symptomatic connections. Cause and effect relations. But only if they are politically in keeping with the leftist, feminist, abortionist agenda. The abortion breast cancer link denied, denied, denied. Complete denial for decade upon decade upon decade by the abortion promoters. The abortion Champions. But meanwhile, all this great awareness, which has generated billions and billions, taken billions of dollars from taxpayers, generated billions into these wonderful charitable organizations that have promoted induced abortion. But but again, heart disease, the number one killer of women. But imagine... 
Here she was at the hospital emergency room for more than two hours, not checked on like she was supposed to be. Imagine. She and the others that were there. What if one of them had coronavirus? What if? What if one of them had coronavirus? What if they had a mild infection, meaning it had not blossomed into full stage showing, demonstrating all symptoms? Would have been able to infect all of the other patients there and staff members that they came in contact with and then left and no one the wiser because that person wouldn't be examined then they'd go somewhere else to an emergency room or something in a, a clinic, an urgent care facility or an emergency room at another hospital. Imagine that. No, that could never happen. <laughs> really? But meanwhile, this about Frodert Hospital. Keep that name in mind. When I read that, it rang a bell. And I was sure that that was the place that was linked to this terrible, monstrous tragedy that took place in January a year ago. This lovely young woman who was a nurse at Frodert Hospital and at the Medical College of Wisconsin. This precious nurse practitioner who cared for people with cancer and on top of her duties at Medical College of Wisconsin and Frodert Hospital, she also volunteered her time to care for these people, to meet with these people and commiserate with them and try to cheer them up and so forth in a hospice care facility. An extraordinary young woman, Carly Bowden. She was viciously, monstrously murdered in the Frodert Hospital parking garage in January 2019. She went out in the wee hours to get her car and drive away, and she was attacked. Apparently, she'd gotten into her car, it sounded like, and started it, and she was attacked. The vehicle crashed into a wall. She was found under the car, frozen to the ground bleeding profusely from her head. She wasn't found until her husband called. Her husband was wakened by the family dog, by her dog, Baloo, about 4 a.m., and he called the hospital. They searched for her and found her there, frozen to the ground. 27 years of age, as precious as, as wonderful a young woman as there is in this nation. 
slaughtered by a 27-year-old man. Interestingly enough, a man was found dead on December 28th in a vicinity near there, but that was assumed to be no foul play. I wonder if it was the same attacker. But again, on a similar note, (laughs) a connected, something that has some connection with this coronavirus, the dangers there, a new tunnel was discovered. Not that it's a new tunnel, but it was newly discovered. Pardon me. So this is the latest in a series of many discoveries of seeking, searching for tunnels underneath the wall separating United States of America from Mexico. And this continued on for approximately 25 feet into Nogales, Arizona. This was the third time since last year, the end of last year, that Border Patrol agents have detected, have discovered an underground smuggling route in that general vicinity. But more spectacularly troublesome than that was that in January, federal authorities in San Diego, California, this had to be southernmost, (laughs) south of San Diego, so Baja, the border between California and Mexico, these federal authorities discovered the longest, most extensive cross-border, you can call it international, it's from one nation to another, tunnel that has ever been discovered. The length of it was more than 14 football fields. That's right. (laughs) So we're talking about more than a mile. It included lighting fixtures, cabling, and an elevator. So for moving armies of people from northernmost Mexico, Tijuana, into the United States of America. Fantastic, don't you think? (laughs) More than 14 football fields. By my count, that means a mile, call it. Approximately a mile. And it had an elevator and cabling and lighting fixtures and it was massive not only long but wide deep what have you sophisticated for moving a great many people but what significance does that have well guess what just as illegal aliens can be smuggled in drugs can be smuggled in Drugs can be smuggled in via the illegal aliens. 
In addition to that, terrorists can be smuggled in and pandemics can come into the United States that way. Into sanctuary state California. Oh, that doesn't have anything to do with it. Really? The state that embraces illegal aliens and fights the federal government to refuse to enforce federal laws prohibiting illegal aliens, embraces them, safeguards them, grants to them rights that are denied to citizens of America. Citizens of many, 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 many generations. Going back centuries, these illegal aliens are granted rights that are denied, summarily denied to citizens of the United States of America. Thanks to, courtesy of, the Democrat Party. In California, in New York, in Illinois, and so forth. Meanwhile, before I go further, let me just say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, that is on me. That is due to me. That is my fault. But perhaps you have seen all of the hullabaloo regarding the Democrats not knowing quite what to do regarding this freight train called Bernie Sanders. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's really a wee bit trumped up, not by Donald Trump, not by the president. But it is trumped up, yes, by the likes of Chris Matthews, but only because he's an alarmist about it. That's all. He's a leftist alarmist about it. But there are many in the Democrat Party that are very concerned that the Democrats will do very badly fare very poorly in the general elections if Bernie Sanders, Bernie Marxist Sanders, is at the top of the ticket. Not because he's a, quote, old white man, an angry old white man. No. No, not that. And when I say white, understandably, it's because he has white, white hair, he has white, white complexion, but he is a Jewish man. You know, like unto Michael Bloomberg, the synagogue of Satan variety as far as I am concerned, and I am convinced that is what the Lord would agree with too. But in any case, he's a Marxist, he's a socialist. Socialism is anti-God, anti-Christ, foundationally. If you know anything about communism fascism, and the root socialism from Marx on forward, it is absolutely antithetical to at war with Christianity and Jewry 
and surprisingly with jewelry because jewelry that insists on refusing, rejecting, resisting the Lord God Almighty's Christ, his Messiah, is not something to concern oneself with. But in any case, it is absolutely anti-God, anti-Christ. Socialism, Marxism, communism, fascism, and it is all together. Communism, fascism, opposite sides of the coin of the same coin. Opposite sides of the same currency, all socialist. But so concerned about Bernie Sanders. And why? Oh, he claims to have a massive movement, a vast, diverse coalition. You know, like President Bush's vast coalition and his father's vast coalition. In the Middle East, in war application. But here, a vast, diverse coalition. Really, based on what? What do we base that on? On the Nevada Democrat caucuses in which Bernie garnered 51% of the vote of Mexican voters? Citizens and or otherwise, 51% of them, and garnered just shy of two-thirds of the votes of all voters under the age of 30. That constitutes a vast, diverse coalition, really? (laughs) It is... It is just it is just stupendously laughable. But so he garnered two thirds of the vote, or just shy of it, of the least wise portion of demographic of voters in terms of age, in terms of maturity, and so forth. And just over one-half of the votes of Mexican voters, referred to as Hispanic, Latino, but Mexican voters. Legal and otherwise. And that is a vast, terrifying coalition that all of the other candidates just shake and quake in their boots at. Amazing. Just astonishing. But anyway... This fellow, this mega, mega donor who has poured millions into promoting, into funding the Democrat Party candidates for Congress and for the Senate and for president in one election after another, Bernard Schwartz. It's got kind of a Jewish ring to it, doesn't it? It's just, there's so many of these. Jewish people that you would think after the Holocaust, after all the terrible persecution and slaughter of Jews, 
more by the Soviet Union than by Hitler's Nazi Third Reich. But, and by Islamist regimes everywhere, you would think that they would not be promoting the far left, but they are enslaved by the far left, and they are movers and shakers, those that have great wealth, they are movers and shakers of the far left. So it has always been. But (laughs) going back generations and generations and generations. But dear Mr. Schwartz, he is a chief executive officer of an investment firm. And he contacted House Speaker Madam Nancy Pelosi. Democrat California, and also Chucky Schumer, Charles Schumer. He's the Senate Minority Leader, nudist and and what have you. But great people, you know, he contacted them to try to encourage them, to persuade them, to sway them, to announce their backing for a candidate any candidate other than Bernie Sanders. Now, he has his own favorites. He prefers either Vice President Joe Biden, who he's currently supporting, you know, until after he finds out what happens in South Carolina's primaries, which just happens to fall on today, (laughs) the 29th of February, or Mike Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg, formerly Democrat, before he was Republican, but then independent, and now Democrat again. Michael Dukakis Bloomberg. Yes. Michael Weinstein Bloomberg. Michael... Bloomberg and Joe Biden. They're his favorites, but anybody but Sanders. And Schwartz, like so many in the Democrat Party, are so fearful that Bernie Sanders at the top of the ticket means Democrats are going to lose ground, as they say, in the House of Representatives, in the congressional races, going to lose ground in the U.S. Senate and going to lose the presidency. And money talks, but the only thing I can think in terms of his letting the press know about this instead of keeping it behind closed doors, the only thing I can imagine is that he was concerned that they would ignore him. And by doing this, that he would bring more pressure on them. I think it actually has a boomerang effect. That after it being disclosed to the press, that then Nancy and Chucky would be afraid to do this, to endorse a candidate other than Sanders, for fear that it would look like they were caving in to pressure 
They also, you have to understand, selfish self-interest. They're two huge, huge forces at work here. One is these Democrat leaders and Democrat politicians. First and foremost, they are moved by selfish self-interest. But along with that, they are absolutely dedicated to the Democrat agenda, the leftist agenda, which has eroded and subverted the United States of America for so very many decades. The two of those things. But here I think that the personal self-interest trumps the other. That is, they do not want to take a chance of alienating prospective voters for themselves. They don't want to incur the wrath of these Bernie supporters to campaign against them. They don't want that. Oh, well, what can Bernie supporters do? Well, we'll get to that in a minute. But meanwhile, Mikey Bloomberg, Mikey, according to his own internal polling, is not doing so well, not faring so well. Looks like he's not going to do so well in South Carolina, so much so that his campaign manager has dismissed South Carolina, saying it doesn't matter what happens in South Carolina. Extraordinary. They've poured money in there, massive ad campaigns, but it doesn't matter what happens there. What matters is Super Tuesday. Well, there is truth to that. Super Tuesday, which is this coming Tuesday, March 3rd, is of massive consequence and cannot be dismissed the way they're dismissing South Carolina preemptively because they fear that Mikey will fall far short. It had been reported back, if you remember, going back to the Democrat primaries in New Hampshire, there was talk that Michael Bloomberg was greatly taking over black Biden voters in South Carolina. I saw report after report after report about that, that Biden, his campaign was collapsing And black voters were switching in massive numbers over to Michael Bloomberg. That Joe Biden, who had polled at, I can't even remember how high, astronomically with the black voters, black Democrat registered voters in South Carolina, that he had lost half of his support and almost all of it had gone to Michael Bloomberg. And now Michael Bloomberg's campaign in South Carolina has collapsed so badly that his campaign manager says it doesn't matter what happens in South Carolina. That's how quickly these things can change. But fascinating. So here we have Super Tuesday coming with states as important in terms of delegates as Texas and California cannot be dismissed. Super Tuesday is huge. 
and Bloomberg has invested enormously in trying to come out on top on Super Tuesday. He'll settle for number two, mind you. Yes. He'll even settle for number three, but he is gunning for number one. But speaking of how quickly things can turn, I mentioned previously in this program that after the first reports from Wuhan, Hubei province, communist China, concerning the coronavirus outbreak, I stated that it was a pandemic. Based on what I read, based on what I saw, based on the fact of all of these foreign visitors coming and going, I stated it was a pandemic. It wasn't recognized as a pandemic, but it was absolutely going to become one, and it has become one, even though it is still not being recognized as such. But, and being denied (laughs) as being such. Going back to the President's State of the Union address. When I commented on that over the span of three programs, at least three programs, maybe four, but I stated that even though I have repeatedly said that this coming election to a significant degree, is a redux of this, it's the economy, stupid. I stated that all of this hoopla, all of this great promotion, this taking credit of the massive purported gains in the stock market, being taken credit for by the President of the United States of America, that could change in a day. That could turn on a dime. And I fully expected that it would before the election. That all of his vaunted great economic success as measured by what has taken place with the Dow averages and so forth, which are not necessarily reflective of what has happened with people's investments, but rather (laughs) the big money in the market. That these massive gains, this endless road of prosperity that would just go on and go on, on into the future. That it could change, it could fall apart, it could collapse, it could turn on a dime, it could turn on a day. And that I was convinced and persuaded that that was going to happen before the election. I did not want it to happen. I did not desire it to happen. But I was convinced that it would happen. That there was a much, much, much greater chance that it would happen than that it wouldn't. And that if it failed to happen before 
the presidential election, this next round of general elections, that it would happen shortly thereafter. No, 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 no. No, just, you know, endless prosperity now. Well, the president, curiously enough, now that there have been these massive reversals, he's not taking credit for those. No, (laughs) he's free from blame for that. When we're up, it's because of me. When we're down, it's not because of me. This is not limited to this president. The same thing with Barack Hussein Obama. The same thing with George Bush, George W. Bush. The same thing with Bill Clinton. (laughs) This is the way that they operate. There, There is this sameness about this. They take credit for anything positive, whether they had anything to do with it or not. And... They deny any responsibility for everything bad, regardless whether they had responsibility for it or not. It's just the way it works. But speaking of the Bernie machine, the Bernie backers, (laughs) on the night before the Nevada Democrat caucuses, Bernie's activists were out and about in the wee hours of the night, harassing the Democrat Party leadership, trying to intimidate them and coerce them into bending to the will of the Bernie Sanders campaign. The Sanders campaign has denied it, categorically, of course. But meanwhile, interestingly enough, there have been other things that have gone on in terms of online messages that have been less than flattering to Pete Buttigieg, sodomite Pete Buttigieg, have been much more scathing than anything I've said. And they have supposedly originated with the Bernie Sanders campaign. It's, it's funny. But anyway, the police were called over and over and over because of these incidents that were committed by Bernie Sanders activists against Democrat Party leadership in the wee hours of the night across Nevada. Just remarkable. Meanwhile, speaking of Pete Sodomite Buttigieg, he is engaging in a strategic ad campaign by going into smaller markets in addition to a couple major markets, a few major markets, those like in Colorado and Minnesota, the major cities there, but also into comparatively smaller markets like Bangor, Maine, like Stephen King's Bangor, Maine. Why? Because they can buy such much greater amounts of advertising for small amounts of money and affect 
the race. But again, Chris Matthews said it's over. It's over. (laughs) There's no hope. It's over. Well, David Wright of ABC News, he has been suspended. And he worked on ABC News, World News Tonight, Good Morning America, Nightline, and so forth. What I found fascinating was he made statements the following. Commercial imperative is incompatible with news. And then he said, quote, we don't hold him to account. We also don't give him credit for what things he does do. End quote. Poorly worded, but that's what I do. I hold the president to account, but I give him credit for when his administration does something right. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.